Hello and welcome survivors to the Identity of Health show hosted by me, Matt Rowe. During my journey of controlling my symptoms of MS, I was inspired to meet others who have decided to control and heal disease using unconventional means. During every episode, we are going to hear inspiring stories from those that have gone on to live incredible lives after they have been diagnosed with a disease because they made the choice and gave themselves permission to heal. Today's show is brought to you by Organic Farmers Everywhere and the healthy soils they grow their foods in. These people are the true healthcare heroes today. It is also brought to you by the book Identity of Health, Mastering the Mindset to Heal. I decided to release the book unconventionally, like the journey we embark on when we give ourselves permission to heal. The book Identity of Health will be available for purchase May 15th, 2019 as a monthly membership where you will receive one chapter a month with exercises to apply the healing skill you receive in each chapter, along with guided meditations, teaching courses to use food as medicine, and at the end of the book, you will receive your own personal hard copy signed by me, Matt Rowe. Now on to the show. So today I have the pleasure of hearing how Karen Hertz healed melanoma and thyroid cancer. Welcome Karen to the show and I'm so looking forward to hearing your story and the little bit I know of you Karen as a mother, a wife, and the owner of Holla Daily Brewery. And I will say, if you have not had really good gluten-free beer, this is the place to find it. So I could do the blind taste test for you, and you won't notice the difference between a conventional beer and a gluten-free beer used with buckwheat and millet. And I love what she's doing here in Golden, Colorado. And... uh as much as I could talk beer all day, I really want to get into Karen's story. So thank you so much for having me here today, Karen, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're happy to be a part of it. You are quite welcome. So when did you first know something wasn't quite right? Well, uh, as in terms of a timeline, I was diagnosed with melanoma in 2007 and I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and Hashimoto's thyroiditis in 2008. So 2007, I was pregnant with twins and my belly button popped out and there was a dark mole on my belly button and it turned out it was melanoma. So while pregnant, I had to address that situation immediately. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, um, went into just a regular doctor's appointment feeling like, I wanted to tell the doctor how tired I was, but felt like it was pretty obvious because at that point my twins were a year old. So of course mm -hmm. you're tired all the time. Um, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Having a couple of twins? Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. did you not be exhausted? You can see where I felt silly telling the doctor that I was tired. So yeah. turned out I did tell the doctor and she found really some lumps on my thyroid and that turned into diagnosing me with thyroid cancer and 
Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is autoimmune where your body attacks your thyroid. So um, I would say those were really the, the big timeline in which I had some major health events happen. Mm-hmm. Post that, getting my thyroid removed, um, having a thyroidectomy, radiation treatment done was when I really started not regularly not feeling very well in terms of being very fatigued all the time, having a hard time concentrating. And that was when I started addressing my diet in terms of treatment for just in general feeling better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You had mentioned in kind of the precast calls that we were doing, you had mentioned like a foggy head. Yeah. Lack of clarity. For sure. I was, I was making mistakes at work and I say mm-hmm. more than I usually do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was making some mistakes that I wouldn't normally make, just some spreadsheet type things where, where I was getting caught up. People were pointing it out and I couldn't figure out why. I mean, it, it just was really difficult to concentrate. Um, and, and fog is, people call it brain fog, but that's really a great description of what it actually is. You can't, you just can't really think straight. It's hard to get your thoughts in order and get them together and um, changing my diet really influenced my brain. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't even put, put those two things together, but it makes sense. What you fuel yourself with really influences everything in terms of operation. Yeah. When you started to change your diet and yeah. kind of get into that, was there a specific area that you looked at that you focused on or did you do like an elimination diet or did you just fo- just try different things? Well, with thyroid related issues, gluten was an immediate item that needed to be addressed mm-hmm. really f- according to my medical team and a nutritionist that I was seeing at the time. So mm-hmm. it started right away with eliminating gluten mm-hmm. and in two weeks that fog we were just talking about really completely cleared up. And since then, other things that I hadn't even related to eating gluten have cleared up in my life. So I'm young, leading through my 20s, had to get allergy shots every single week, sometimes twice a week. I don't even hardly take allergy medication anymore. So I really think there was something maybe even my whole life that was influencing that um, skin issues like eczema. I don't deal with that anymore at all. So and that took a while to catch up with me just eating better for my body. Mm-hmm. Um, most notice- noticeably immediately was within two weeks that fog was really kind of lifting. I, I just felt better emotionally. I felt better mentally. Mm-hmm. And then long-term other things, you know, a year goes by and I'm like, wait a minute, I've been through two allergy seasons and I didn't need any medicine. What is going on? Mm-hmm. And really tied it back to changes in my diet. Yeah, that's huge. So now you've gone through, you had melanoma cancer mm-hmm. on your belly button yeah. while you were pregnant yeah. with twins. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's got a little bit of stress <laughs> attached uh, yeah. with all of that. And removed while the babies were in there. So, you know, they're right under there. Yeah. Um, it was a little intense, but mm-hmm. we caught it early, thank goodness. So, yeah, yeah it was Good. And it sounds like you were paying attention a little bit too of, you know, and it's hard to go into the doctor after having kids and going, I'm tired. They're like, no shit. <laughs> exactly. You're tired. I get it. Yeah. I've got one yeah. year old twins at home. What yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, surprise. You, you're tired and you're exhausted. Exactly. And also while you're doing this, when did you start the brewery? When did you get into 
it was actually a while after that. So, you know, part of this gluten-free thing, my career-wise, most of it had been spent at Miller Coors mm -hmm. in Golden. So I was already in the beer industry, primarily doing distribution, getting mm -hmm. beer from here in Golden to five different states in the central region. So I was involved mm -hmm. in the beer community. Uh, mm -hmm. It was part of my career. And part of going gluten-free was searching for alternatives, clearly. And beer was one of the things because of the barley and wheat that is in most beers. Mm -hmm. Anybody that's gluten-free can't have a regular beer. Mm -hmm. So I started trying some of the gluten-free beer options out there and just mm -hmm. felt like... Sorghum doesn't taste quality, that great anywhere. <laughs> yeah, the quality was lacking. And that's what led me into really starting research on how do you brew um, gluten-free beer that tastes like beer. Mm -hmm. And it was a long road into getting that done and, and really learning a lot about it, but eventually led to me discovering a company up in Fort Collins called Grouse Malting and Roasting. It's mm -hmm. another woman-owned business. She was a step ahead of me in, I wanted to create gluten-free beer. She was thinking, I need to come up with great ingredients people can utilize to make good gluten-free beer. Mm -hmm. So luckily just found her kind of through a network and then worked a lot with her on how can I make beer out of this the best way. Started home brewing and we had to make some accommodations to a brewing system in order to make it work most efficiently. Mm -hmm. So I, I worked with CSU. They have a fermentation and science school up there. Mm -hmm. I worked with them on designing our system and ultimately being able to make craft beer that's gluten-free and tastes just like, to your point, any craft beer, it just happens to have gluten-free ingredients rather than have gluten in it. So from your having twins yep. to starting a business yeah. to all of it and curing cancer essentially have you noticed <laughs> is anything come back or no, is it yeah no i've been cancer free and actually um february of this coming year so february 2019 will be 10 years cancer free congrats yeah so okay so now cancer free. so do you think that being diagnosed with cancer was a catalyst for you or what would you describe that what was going through your head at absolutely that time? um i mean at that time Ultimately, I just wanted it out of my body and away from me. Mm -hmm. um, so immediately diagnosis-wise, my response was, we, let's just get rid of this thing, get it out of my body. I don't, I don't, I just, we need to resolve this quickly. Um, so that was more of my immediate response. But long-term, I definitely think it's had a major impact on just my approach to life in general. Um, before cancer, before I was sick, before twins, twins were just as hard as having cancer. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but yeah, uh, before all of that happened all at the same time, um, I certainly had a good life and mm -hmm. felt accomplished, but it was more of a checking box kind of a life. Mm -hmm. Um, I played sports, I did well in school, I went to college, I got a degree, I worked, I went to grad school, got my MBA, um, worked more, got married, had kids. It was kind of like just this, it, it wasn't a bad life, but it was just a, this is what you do kind of a life. And after mm -hmm. cancer, it really was 
it pushed me to make some decisions with more intent and more purpose of mm. living this intentional life and consciously making decisions where I knew it was a risk. I knew it was probably crazy to some people, but I felt like I could do it and it was something that was needed. And I think the other thing that influenced really me making that change was the twins are girls. Mm -hmm. So as a mom and just a woman, I wanted to show them, you can do this. You can do anything you want. Go do it. Don't mm -hmm. be scared. Don't, um, don't have let people tell you, you can't. Mm -hmm. So not only was being sick, a catalyst, but actually having girls made me want to prove it even more. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of gave you a push to say, you know what, there's, there's got to be something more instead of just checking the box. Yeah. I love the picture that you painted there of, because I think a lot of us go through life, I mean, industrialized educational system, we go through, they tell, they almost like prescribe for you or spoon feed you yeah. of how life is supposed to be, go to college, get good grades, do all these type of things. But I don't see schools telling my kids, you know what, what is possible look like? that you can really go do anything you want. Right. It's almost like they're taking the safe route. So being diagnosed with something was kind of a push for you. Totally. In making that happen. Yeah, and I don't I I just think it's that realization of well, I mean, we're all dying, we're all going to die. I I know that, mm -hmm. but really understanding that and taking that in and being like, god, even me, I've been healthy my whole life. I've mm -hmm been an athlete my whole life I've you know I felt like even me this can happen too so mm -hmm. it could happen to anybody at any time and you when you internalize that maybe it's partially fear I don't know but it's like I gotta do something just when when this is all over I want people saying oh my gosh look what she did mm -hmm. you know and and it wouldn't have been horrible if I didn't do it it still is a honorable life I think but I mm -hmm. wanted something where people were like I can't believe she did that or that's amazing or um and I wanted to be proud of it too right you know yeah so yeah. that really it it drove my life in that direction and just being more aware of the decisions I was making and the message I wanted to send out and messages I wanted to send out not only to my little girls but just be more impactful with the decisions I was making. You you talked about being aware of what you were thinking mm -hmm. and all that type of thing. Does that include that little voice that's in the back of your head that tells you you're not good enough? A little bit. Um, I mean, that's never going to go away. <laughs> I don't think to anybody. Anybody. Right? Yeah. yeah, I think everybody's got it. Um, I don't know. I've been pretty good just at minimizing that kind of my whole life a little bit. Um, and, and the fear of failure went away mm. more so. There was definitely like do all the right things because if you tried something and failed, it would be the worst thing ever. And I don't right. now I'm like, so you fail. <laughs> I, I don't know. It does. I, I cured <laughs> cancer. Who cares if I screw <laughs> so, up making beer? Yeah. yeah. I'm still alive. That's yeah. good. That's all we care about. I wake up every morning. We're good. Right. Um, and that, that's the scary part is for me is not failing anymore. It's more just 
something bad happening and realizing that it can happen. It can happen to any of us at any time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And kind of learning as much as you can from, you know, that sense of you think you failed. Yeah. But kind of treating it and spinning it on its head a little bit more. For sure. So now would you consider yourself like at the time, what was your thought process at the time when the doctor came to you and said, I'm sorry, Karen, you have melanin in or melanin in your belly button right. and we need to do surgery. What would you say you were thinking about at that moment? Um, I think my first fear was telling my family, just not wanting to upset everybody. Mm -hmm. And I was pregnant. And, um, so it was an added bonus, but, um, letting my family know I was real nervous about I'm the baby. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it ultimately, we talked about it a little bit ago, but just get it out, get it away from me mm -hmm. <laughs> as soon as possible. Like, could, yeah. can I come in right now? Like when they call, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, great. What time should I be there? Um, ultimately that was it. None of the big heavy thoughts of why there, I, there haven't been a lot of those thoughts in my head in terms mm -hmm. of why and why me and all of that. It, ultimately was what do I have to do? Let's get it done right now. So you definitely went into a mode of just taking action, get it out of me yeah. and just be done with this. I want to get this closed off in my life. Yeah. So, and I think that's definitely something of individuals that I've been interviewing that have cured a disease mm -hmm. approached it that way. There was an identity of possible or just get it out of me, or it was action oriented mm -hmm. instead of thinking on that side of why. Oh, like the yeah. woe is me, the victim kind yeah. of, why did this happen to me? And yeah. so, yeah, it's... And I don't know if that's a choice or if that's kind of people, it's just natural for some people to lean one way or another. I'm not totally sure. But for me, it certainly was, what are the steps we need to take and let's do them right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whatever we can do, let's just take <laughs> care of this. Yeah. Just don't hurt the babies. <laughs> just... Yeah. make this happen. Yeah, exactly. How do you manage that little voice? Like, like today when in, you know, in the precast, you had talked a little bit about, you know, when you have a cold or if something happens yeah. or you're tired, oh, yeah. you start to layer cancer on top of that. For sure. I think, you know, once you've been through something like this, one cancer diagnosis to whatever it may be, it's always in the back of your mind. Um, if I get a little illness or whatever it may be, it, that it always creeps in. Like, what mm. if this isn't just a cough? What if you have some giant tumor? I mean, I cut my best buddy and I call it chronic overreaction. I'm like, <laughs> I've got the CO again. I'm pretty sure I'm going to die next week. Like just <laughs> She's like, Karen, slow down. You just have a cold. All right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. yeah just yeah, take yeah. some time and I'll go back to bed or like maybe do some yoga and sweat it out. I don't know. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I do definitely have a diagnosed case of chronic overreaction all the time. Um, but, and that really does, it creeps in, but it's a matter of, we actually did talk about this before, but it was in my head for multiple years, I wasn't supposed to have twins. I wasn't supposed to get melanoma. I wasn't supposed to get thyroid cancer because the odds are so low. Mm -hmm. And when it happens to you, the odds are a hundred percent. So yeah. you don't really believe in statistics anymore, but I do try and tell myself in my head, you know, the chances of this being what you think it is in your head or you've blown it up to be because you're tired or 
you have a sore throat mm -hmm. are so low. You know, it's just a reminder constantly of you're overreacting. It's mm -hmm. most likely not that big a deal. It's going to be okay. But that voice is always there. And repercussion of going through what I went through is that there's going to be something emotionally tied to it for you. I don't think that you can escape that as a survivor of something. Um, and so for me, it's that voice of that chronic overreaction. But if it means I need to go get something checked out just to ease my worries, then I will go get that done. Or ultimately it passes a couple of days and I'll be back running with my best buddy. Like, yep. Chronic overreaction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'll totally make good. it. Yeah. But you know, and you brought something up really important, which is you let it, you gave it a period of time that you were going to worry about it. And you said a couple of days. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, you know what? This is, yeah. I, I, you actually gave it a name too, which I love. Like <laughs> it's a CO. It's chronic overreaction. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can make fun of yourself a little bit for it too, which always, I don't know, just bringing humor into the situation always helps Yeah. me for sure. And just lightens the actual tone versus where your mind could go with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you find that you laugh more? In general or? Yeah, since you've been diagnosed. No, I kind of have always been crazy. <laughs> um, Crazy's good. Crazy and I have, my family's really funny. I come from a funny family and funny friends. So I don't know if it's necessarily laughing more. It's just appreciating those moments a little bit more maybe. Mm, yeah. Um, but I, I was kind of crazy and funny before I was sick too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. good. I mean, in general, it, I don't know, down at the core, I didn't change all that much. It was just how I was going to actively make decisions mm -hmm. as to what changed. But the core of me is pretty similar, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So what habits have you noticed you've changed since you've been, um, since you've cured it? Well, in, in addition to really paying attention to what I eat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was an exerciser before I still am now. I think I'm not as serious about competition as I used to be. My mm -hmm. family might disagree when we play cards or something, but <laughs> I think I'm not as com competitive. Um, as long as you let your daughters win a couple of times <laughs> at a card enough. game. Yeah, you're good. Totally. Yeah. Um, but I think just overall being a little easier on myself doing some things for stress like yoga I'd never mm -hmm. done before love it now it's I don't need to do it every day but at least once a week um so I think really just taking into account we talked about active decisions and and being more conscious about the decisions I make but mm -hmm. also just really forgiving myself and trying to take care of myself mentally and physically is okay some changes that I've made since then. Do you find you slow down a little bit more? Like really to the point of like spending, it's like appreciating yourself. I try to. Yeah. yeah. It's hard when you are doing the startup business and you've got two 10 year old kids, the girls are 10 now. Um, you yeah. know, slowing down isn't really part of our vocabulary at my house right now. But oh, you mean entrepreneurship doesn't have a slow down button at all? It doesn't feel like it. No, it never does. No, um, but it does feel like I really appreciate things 
and I'm doing something I love. So it doesn't feel like work. It's this, Mm -hmm. yes, it's busy and it's crazy, but it's so fun. Mm -hmm. And it's working. We're getting recognized for things. We're getting, we're growing like crazy. And it, it makes me feel like we've got some momentum and you don't get that kind of momentum unless you're doing something you're meant to be doing. Mm. So I feel like the results we're getting right now as a company and a team and my family, and it just, it feels like this is how it should be. It should, it should shouldn't it be so difficult life just shouldn't be so hard whether it's your relationships or your job or whatever things are flowing really well so I feel like I'm in the right spot right now yeah yeah that's awesome so what are you aiming for now that you're in the right spot right what are you aiming for well ultimately I started this company because I felt like there were other people like me who had been really sick whether it's celiac disease and autoimmune disease, cancer, just being gluten-free makes people feel better. Um, that can't have a beer after a bike ride or opera ski or a tailgate party. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately this business was kind of a mission just to be, let people feel normal again and have a beer. So we're really focused now on distribution and getting beer to those people. Mm-hmm. Our tap room is awesome. I absolutely love it here. Mm-hmm. And we have 10 beers on tap up here. But the ultimate goal for me in this is getting beer out to people so that they can just feel safe and enjoy a product with their family at a football game and not have to worry that they're going to get sick from it or how they're going to feel tomorrow. So right. really, I'm focused on growing this business in terms of distribution and getting beer out to people. And thank you for doing that because (laughs) their brewery is not far from my house. And so when we look at it is this is the only beer my wife and I can drink. And we are so grateful because I was so tired of what gluten-free beer, and I put that in quotes, was at the time. And this is, it tastes like beer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And that really was the, that was the ultimate goal. It wasn't, let's make another, I think there's a market, let's make some mediocre beer-like product it was let's start with a really great craft beer that happens to be Mm gluten-free and then I think it will grow from there and people will want that type of quality you know gluten-free people either you feel like you're missing out on something Mm -hmm. um, or you have to make some sacrifice to be gluten-free and I didn't want people to feel that way I want everyone to be able to come in here and be like this is just great beer it doesn't matter yeah and we started at that point and then grew it from there Awesome. Yeah. So what is something you know to be true, yet no one believes you? I thought a lot about this. And I think ultimately, something I know to be true, but nobody believes me is that I always get questioned all the time about being a woman in a male dominated industry. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I don't know what industry isn't male dominated. So it's kind of crazy when people talk about that to me, um, maybe makeup or hair products. I'm not really sure. Otherwise if you're a working woman, you're in a male dominated industry, but I believe that it can be an advantage rather than just than a disadvantage to be a woman in a male dominated industry. And the reason I really believe that is because people remember me. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, if I go to a brewer's conference in general, 
it's like giant beard beer guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's me. <laughs> the classic brewers. Totally. And then, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, beards are like the coolest thing. I I'm can't so grow one. I'm so glad you do not have a beard, Karen. Best. This would be a different interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think in some ways it's an advantage. I get calls from other breweries often saying, how are you getting all this press? Or one, our product in our brewery is totally different than any other brewery mm -hmm. in Colorado. So that certainly helps, but it's also this whole story and having a female behind it that it's just something new and different to talk about. So mm -hmm. it really allows us just more opportunity to either be remembered by people because we are different or even have more people talk about us because it's just something new and different to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I love working with men. I love drinking beer with men. I love hanging out with men. Um, and so really building on those relationships is way more my focus than worrying about thinking it's a disadvantage. I don't even think about it. And I do think a lot of women over worry about it mm -hmm. and it to a point so much it's distracting them from just moving forward and accomplishing their goals yeah. so I don't even worry about it and I just worry about the direction I want to head and how to get there and utilizing being remembered or being this unique thing as more of a tool than actually something that's bad yeah so I think that's the one thing I truly believe that I think other people may think I'm crazy. <laughs> I don't think they think you're crazy. I, I hope they're a little bit inspired like I am with this story. But, you know, you're talking about a thought process. And that thought process, not only from the moment that you got cancer, you, you know, they gave you the diagnosis of it all. Right. But also in as you're going and growing your business, you're thinking about it and you're not doing the woe is me. And, right. Oh, they're going to hold me down because I'm a woman in the beer industry. Yep. You're like, no, how can I use this to my advantage? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. You know, you can do the whys and what happened and what did I do wrong and why is this happening to me? But it doesn't change the fact that you have cancer. Mm -hmm. So don't waste your time and energy on that. Waste your time and energy, not waste your time and energy, but use your time and energy on solving the problem Yeah. or reaching your goals or getting to the next level or what else it might be because so much time is wasted on something you can't change. It's not going to change your diagnosis that I can't, I don't want to change that I'm a woman. I guess I probably could change. Um, you know, so the, in those, just in that manner, so much time and energy could be spent on better things than worrying about things you can't control anyway. Yeah. So that's, I think that's where all that mentality is very similar, whether it's dealing with being sick or running a business or being unique or whatever it might be. Do you think the answer, the question, the answer to the question of what you want and I don't think a lot of individuals ask themselves this question and actually answer it. Do you think it became more clear for you, for you after you were diagnosed? A little bit. Um, it's, it's easier to define, but it still changes all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, the older I get, the more I don't want <laughs> things I wanted that I was young. I just want more sleep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So I, I'm happy to, to identify that and admit it. Yeah, that's my wife for Mother's Day. She just asked, because we just got done with Mother's Day, and she asked, she goes, how do you just give sleep? 
for Mother's Day. That's all I want. No flowers, no anything. Just be left alone. Just give yeah. me sleep. Yeah, we saw a family in our neighborhood. The dad and all the kids were at Elitch's. And I was like, oh, smart. Mom's home hanging out or at the spa or something. Yes. I'm pretty sure. Um, so I think it is a little bit more clear. I don't know if a lot of it definitely comes with being sick and being definitive and making up my mind that I wanted to accomplish some things. Mm-hmm. And then I think some of it just comes with age and maturity and having kids and being like, I can't do it all. Let's identify mm-hmm. the things I really think I can do and yeah. setting limits. And it's, it's a combination of both of those things, I think, for me. Incredible. Well, Karen, thank you so much thank for spending for time me. with us all today and telling your story. I think it's definitely, it is beyond inspiring. And I wish you the best of success with everything that you're doing with Holla Daily. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Cheers. Thank you all for listening today. And I hope you left inspired to take health into your own hands. This show is made possible by great sponsors like yourself. And if you want to know how to get involved, please visit our website at www.identityofhealth.com. And while you are there, sign up for our newsletter where you will be the first to know about upcoming episodes and the membership release of Identity of Health on May 15th, Mastering the Mindset to Heal. Remember, you are good enough to heal anything. And I hope you give yourself permission to heal today.